want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 6, and we'll pick up with the study that we began last week, speaking about the fact that Jesus is I Am. This morning we begin looking at the I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John, which are recorded for us by the beloved disciple and are tremendous reminders to us of what Jesus came to accomplish. This morning, in particular, in John chapter 6, we're going to look at the statement of Jesus where he says this, I am the bread of life. What a wonderful statement. I am the bread of life. This statement of Jesus indicates so much about his purpose in coming as our Savior Now, John chapter 6, I wish we had the time this morning to read the entire chapter. It's one of the longest chapters in the Gospel of John. So for the sake of time this morning, we're going to begin reading in verse 22, and we're going to read down through verse number 40. But the whole chapter really pertains to the context. And if we had time to read the entire chapter we would find that this really is detailing one of the most controversial encounters between Jesus and those who were saying that they wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it starts out in the beginning of the chapter with one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus performed when he took some loaves and some fishes and he miraculously divided and multiplied them And he fed a huge multitude of thousands of people. The people were quite taken with the ability of Jesus to create food out of what seemed to be nothing. And we would say he is the creator, so he certainly has the ability to create anything out of nothing. But there in front of their eyes, as he took a couple of loaves and a couple small fishes, and he just kept dividing and multiplying, and his disciples passed it out, and everyone ate. And the people were astounded. What just happened? This is incredible. In fact, the people were so taken by Jesus' miracle that they began to talk among themselves, and they decided that Jesus would make a great king. Any king who can feed you like that is a great king. Just imagine how easy our lives would be. Just imagine if he has this kind of power, what else he could do? And certainly by this point, Jesus has done many miracles. Now that night, after the miracle was performed, Jesus went off and then he went by himself up into a mountain to pray. He told his disciples to go back across the lake, and you may recall how they went in the boat and a storm arose, and that storm overtook them, and they were very frightened. But Jesus came walking on the water to them, and he spoke and he calmed the waters, and the disciples were amazed at what had happened. Now, we pick up the story with the day after. So Jesus has multiplied the loaves and fishes. He's fed the multitudes. He's walked on the water. His disciples have been amazed at his power And now these people who think Jesus would make a great king are looking for him. They want to find Jesus, and they have something in mind that they want Jesus to do for them. So verse 22 is where we'll pick up this morning. The Bible says, The day following, 
When the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unto you, ye seek me not because ye see the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up. At the last day. Now, if we were to continue reading John chapter 6, we would find that within just a short time of this encounter between Jesus and these folks who have come saying they want to follow Jesus, they all left. They all went a different direction because they found that what Jesus was saying was too hard for them. Jesus then turned to his 12 disciples and he said, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter then makes that incredible statement where he says, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And certainly God had given perception to Simon Peter to know who Jesus was. Now, as we think about Jesus being the bread of life, It's very helpful for us to try to get into the context of this passage. And we're going to do the best that we can because 
there's something that Jesus is teaching here which is incredibly important and pertinent to our day and age as he's speaking about, I am the bread of life. I think I've shared this illustration with you, but several years ago, probably about 18 or 19 years ago, I was in Mexico City, and we, we had a group of men there. I was leading that group of men. We were doing some evangelism, some street evangelism, passing out tracts and advertising for a correspondence Bible study. We'd been out on the streets all day. We were hot and tired and hungry and thirsty. And so the men wanted to eat something. And I said, hey, let's find something to eat. So we went and we kind of were going down this street near the center part of town and there's a lot of restaurants on that street. And we came to one restaurant, and they were selling chicken. And the only problem was that the chicken was in the front window, unrefrigerated. And it looked like it had been there all day, and this was the end of the day. And so we thought, well, we probably don't want to eat that. Not sure how that's going to agree with our stomach. And then we went down to another shop, and it was more of the same. And we were getting hungrier and hungrier as we went because we could smell food cooking and we thought we really want to eat something but we weren't finding much in the way of meat seemed like everything was not that fresh and we came along and there was a pastry shop and there were all of these breads donuts sweet things and we thought you know if we can't take a risk with the meat surely we could eat pastries So I took those men in. Everybody was very excited about it. We went into this pastry shop, and we all loaded up with pastries. We got a couple each, and we paid for them, went and sat down. One of the men reached down. He grabbed his pastry, put it in his mouth, and he took a bite. And he looked at it, and he said, Guys, there's bugs in my pastry. And then we all took our pastries and we broke them open and bugs started going everywhere. We lost our appetite. We decided we weren't that hungry after all. Lucky for them, I was familiar with the city and I knew where there was a decent restaurant a little walk away. And so I said, let's go, guys. Let's go find some food to eat. And we found something that would satisfy our hunger. Have you ever gone to eat something that you expected to be one thing and found it to be something else? Cotton candy does this for me. I always in my mind think, boy, this is going to be so good. And I put one bite in my mouth and it goes, and I think, I'm never eating that again. But it fools me and I come back and I try it again. I haven't for a long time. You know, many times... Our appetite is not something that can be satisfied. If you've learned something about yourself, it's that you probably get hungry every day. In fact, it's 1048 right now, and in about an hour and 12 minutes, a lot of you are going to have lunch bells go off. Lord willing, I'll be done preaching by then, because you're going to be thinking, I haven't eaten since breakfast, and I'm starving to death. I've got to eat something right now. So Jesus is ministering to these people, and we know that they had a genuine need. They were hungry. 
Their, the, their body was speaking to them. They hadn't eaten all day. And Jesus miraculously provided for them. Their appetite was, was satisfied. They were filled with the food that Jesus provided for them. And then they started thinking, you know, this is a really good deal. Having somebody like Jesus around to provide for our needs would be really, really helpful. Now, in this passage, notice a couple of things about Jesus being the bread of life. First of all, we find that Jesus is he's purposely working this way in the lives of this multitude of these people because there is a very serious danger that he's trying to bring to their attention. And it's a danger that exists today in our lives, something that we've got to learn to recognize and watch out for. Notice in verse 24 that these people came, and it says, I mean, it seems admirable, right? The people saw that Jesus was not there, so they got on boats, and they went across the the lake of the Sea of Galilee to the other side to Capernaum. And you'll notice what it says there in verse 24, they were seeking for Jesus, This seems like a great thing. I mean, could you imagine if today we opened the doors for church and five or six or 7,000 people came flooding in and said, we're looking for Jesus. We heard this is the place where we could find him. Would you get excited? Some of you would think, oh, praise the Lord, we're going to have a revival. This is going to be great. I mean, the church is really going to grow. Jesus saw things a little different. They were seeking for Jesus... But why? What was it that they were looking for? You see, their motivation would become clear as they actually encountered Jesus. As they asked questions of Jesus, and Jesus asked questions of them, and their motivation is clarified by the end of this chapter, as I've already said, every one of these people is going to say, see you later, not interested, not what I'm looking for. Now, think about that scenario. Imagine if several thousand people showed up to the service this morning and they said they were seeking for Jesus and we presented the truth to them and every single one of them said, nope, not what I'm looking for. See you later. I'll never be back. We would probably go from elation to deflation. What in the world? Not a one of them? But notice that Jesus is pointing out That many people will seek for Jesus, but what they're looking for is not Jesus. They're looking for the things that they think Jesus can do for them. They're looking for Jesus to meet their needs. It's important for each one of us to realize that this danger is very real and to watch out for the wrong motivations in looking for Jesus. I could even ask you this morning to really look deep inside and ask yourself the question, why am I even here this morning? What am I looking for? What is it that I'm seeking for? Now, verse 26, Jesus knew what was in their heart. So he just pointedly spoke to them in verse 26, and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus says, I know what you are about. I know what you're looking for. I know what you're after. You got a free meal yesterday, 
And you're coming looking for me, hoping that I've got some more free meals in my bag, that I'm going to be giving out more bread. That's all that you're looking for. You just want your belly to be, fi- to be filled. Do you understand that there are many people in the world who would be satisfied in their minds, at least they think they would be satisfied, if Jesus would just provide for everything that they wanted? I mean, if you could genuinely convince people, and, and it was so, that if you got saved, you would never want for anything else in your life, everything would be easy, everything would be simple, you would have every provision, you'd become a multimillionaire, you'd have all the things that you ever wished for, I'm telling you, there would be a line all the way into a mass of people wanting to sign up and follow Jesus Christ. But see, the problem is Jesus never promised to provide for everything that we want and desire and and even need. You see, they came looking for a meal ticket. They wanted a provision of all their earthly needs from that day on. These people were so focused on their physical hunger and they thought Jesus is a good solution for us. Now, remember, we're talking about a danger, and I'm going to bring it home in just a minute. Verse 27, Jesus warns them, labor not for the meat which perisheth. There is a meat that perishes or that passes away, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. These people were specifically focused on daily food. Now, for us, this doesn't seem like so much of a concern because most of us have food in our pantry and food in our refrigerator and food in the back room and food in the basement. And if we run out of food, we can always run down to the grocery store and pick up a few things. This was a different day and age in which Jesus was ministering where people genuinely wondered where their next meal was coming from. And to have someone who could come along and just make the next meal appear out of thin air... They were really interested in that. If you said to people, Jesus is giving out bread today at Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, I doubt we'd have many people show up. They wouldn't be that concerned. But there is meat that people are concerned about today. There are things that people hope that Jesus could do for them, that Jesus could fix for them. For instance, some people really want to follow Jesus because they think and they've heard and they've been told by religious teachers who are charlatans and frauds and counterfeits, by the way, that if they just follow Jesus, Jesus will multiply their financial blessings and give them lots and lots of money. Oh, I don't remember reading that in the New Testament. I do remember it saying that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. I do remember that the apostles said, silver and gold have I none. Seems like the the Jesus of the New Testament is a little different than the Jesus that a lot of people are looking for today. Now, if people really thought following Jesus would make them a millionaire, again, you could sell that program for $39.99 a month and people would sign up for it. It's no problem. They would be really interested, but that's not what Jesus came to do. A lot of people today, you say, oh, well, you know, that's not me. That's not what I'm interested in. There's other people who are interested in relationship help. You know, I bet if I come to Jesus, he could fix my marriage. I bet if I come to Jesus, he could solve the problems I'm having with my kids. I'll bet if I come to Jesus, 
you know, he could probably hook me up with somebody really nice that I could marry. I've been wanting to get married. And maybe if I followed Jesus, I could find somebody really nice. Except, you know, the truth is, Jesus doesn't promise to do all those things. Now, his word is wise, and he's got lots of good wisdom in the scriptures about what it means to build a relationship, but he never promises that all your relationships are going to be perfect if you follow him. In fact, there's lots and lots of people who followed Christ, and because of following Christ, the relationships that are dear to them have been severed because people that they loved and that loved them didn't love Jesus and didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Some people today are looking for the meat of deliverance from their problem. Whatever their problem is, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it is a a hole that they dug themselves into. And they they figure, hey, if I follow Jesus, he's going to get me out of this problem. He's going to solve all of my issues in life. And, And so many people have been told for so long that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you just follow Jesus, he's going to make everything so much better that they actually believe that. And they're just thinking, well, if I just follow Jesus, then he'll fix my problems. Now, again, God's word is good and his wisdom is helpful. And a lot of times his wisdom can fix the problems that we make in our life. But sometimes following God's ways makes more problems for us. Jesus ended up on a cross because he was following the will of the Father. The disciples, the apostles, ended up as martyrs because they were following the will of God, proclaiming the gospel. So to to think, well, if I just follow Jesus, then everything is going to get better. The truth is that it may not get better in the near term. The truth is that following Christ may cause you inconvenience, may cause you to be ostracized, may cause others to look down on you, may cause some things to get worse before they get better. So notice the danger to recognize. The danger is that we think Jesus is like our divine genie that we come to and I'll pray and ask him to save me and I'll follow him so that he can fix everything up in my life and make everything good. That's what these people wanted. It was dangerous. Their heart motivation was being exposed. Many people will follow Jesus on the outside temporarily, hoping that Jesus will fix things. And you say, how do you know? Well, the proof is in the pudding, or the proof of the pudding is in the eating, or the proof is in the fruit. You just watch for a while, and you'll find out, did they follow Jesus with a genuine desire or not? Down the road, a couple weeks later, well, things didn't get better. Ah, never mind. I'll try something else. Jesus isn't for me. That's what these people did. There's a real danger that people do not understand the claims of Christ and they do not understand what it means when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We have a tendency to tell God what we think we need instead of taking his word for what we need the most. You see, what they were after, and we want to talk a little bit about the significance of Jesus being the bread of life here for a moment. But what, in their mind, what they needed the most was a meal, more food. But Jesus knew if he fed them again and fed them again, and even if he fed them every meal for this whole physical life that they were here, 
If they didn't get what he came to give, which is eternal life, eventually they're going to die and they're going to go out into eternity separated from God. And that would be horrible. You see, a lot of people have this idea that churches exist to meet the physical needs that people have. In fact, I've been told as much by people. People who call looking for assistance and they figure, well, churches exist to give money to people who need. And I've had people tell me, what? You don't have something for me? What kind of a church are you? What kind of Christians are you people? Well, you try to gently help people understand that there are more important things than where am I staying tonight and what is my next meal going to be? Because ultimately, if we only provide for people's physical needs, then what have we done if we miss their spiritual needs? Jesus is trying to get them to see that his ability to provide for their physical needs is closely linked to his ability to provide for their spiritual hunger, which they don't even realize that they have, you see. They don't realize that they're spiritually hungry. So there's a danger to recognize, but then, second of all, there's a significance to embrace in this passage. When Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life, what does that mean? You see, bread is used here in this passage, not just talking about dough that is cooked in an oven so that you can eat it. Now, I like bread, and a lot of you probably like bread, but if Jesus was literally saying, I am bread, some of you would say, I'm gluten-free. I, I can't have that. doesn't work for me. Jesus is actually speaking in the sense when he talks about the bread of life, He's using it as a metaphor or as a picture of all the things that we need for life. The the idea of bread encompasses all the things that you could eat. Obviously, our bodies require nutrition. We can't go on if we don't eat some food. Bread here is representative of food and sustenance. But Jesus is clearly not speaking about physical food and sustenance when he says, I am the bread of life. He's speaking in a spiritual sense. There's no doubt about it. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, if Jesus was literally saying that everyone who is a true follower of Jesus would never hunger and never thirst, that wouldn't make any sense. Because lots of people have been followers of Jesus and have had seasons in their life when they were hungry or when they were thirsty. Jesus himself hung on the cross and said, one of his seven sayings on the cross, I thirst. So he's obviously not speaking about physical hunger and thirst being quenched here. He's obviously making a statement of spiritual significance. He's saying to these people, I want to provide you with something that you have not even imagined that you need. Listen to me carefully. What you and I need most is Jesus. But often we are seeking the temporary things that could make us happy. We're looking for the things that Jesus could give 
instead of looking for Jesus. You and I don't need to add a little bit of Jesus to our mostly good life. We need to surrender our brokenness to receive His fullness. Do you understand the difference between those two things? Let me expound on that a little bit. Many people in our generation have this idea, you know, my life is pretty good. I've got it mostly figured out, and there's a couple little things, you know, that I could use some help with. So I think I'll add a little Jesus into my life, and that'll fix most of it. That'll solve my problems, you know. I got things mostly together. Let me add a little Jesus. Just top it up to 100%. I'm good to go. Good for this life, good for the next life. Everything is great. I signed on the dotted line. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not how it works. You don't need to add a little Jesus to your life. You need to come to the conclusion that your life isn't worth saving to begin with. That you don't deserve the mercy of God and that you need more than a little bit of Jesus. You need as much of him as you can have. You need all of him. You see, you've got to come to the place where you give up on trying to save yourself and thinking you could just add a little Jesus to make up the difference and realize you're not even close to saving yourself and you desperately need him. These people that Jesus is encountering, that he's talking to, they don't have a a clue who Jesus is. They don't understand what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. Now, Jesus is driving home this point and He's emphasizing for them that he can't just provide them with physical bread. He's got something much greater that he's trying to provide. Look in verse 44. That's farther than what we had read. But in verse 44, Jesus makes this statement, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And what Jesus is teaching there is that you can't just come to God whenever and however you want, come skipping into the presence of the Lord and say, okay, I'm here now, you can save me. I want to take you up on your offer. You actually have to have God work in your life. In other words, what we would point out is you have to experience Holy Spirit conviction. You you have to be troubled by God about your condition. And, and, And here Jesus is pointing out to them, you need God to work in your life so that you can realize your need. I'm convinced of this. Before we tell people, pray and ask Jesus into your heart, we need them to understand the reason that they are apart from God, that they are estranged from God. We've got lots and lots of people who've prayed and asked Jesus in their heart who never understood that they were a sinner, that they were on their way to hell, that they deserved the judgment of God. Where does that come from? Well, the Holy Spirit. He's the one who convinces of sin and righteousness and judgment. So without the Holy Spirit's work, you're not going to understand the gravity of the situation. You're going to think, well, I just need a little bit of bread. I just need a little bit of icing on my cake. I just need Jesus to top me up to 100% and everything's going to be better. No, you need more than that. You need to be broken before God. This was the problem these people had. Now, What was going on in their lives at this time is that God is in the process of drawing them to himself. God is making them aware of their need. 
In fact, this encounter with Jesus, which is so difficult, in some ways it's very sharp and it's hard to process. You say, why is Jesus talking to them in this way? Because Jesus is trying to bring them to a realization of their need. They desperately need a Savior. Now, what we're reminded of in verse 44 is that God is the one who moved first to provide the bread of life, which we desperately need. If he hadn't provided it, we wouldn't even know we needed it. We wouldn't know what what to do to get it. We would live our whole lives unsatisfied and have no idea that we are not right with God. But God, who is good and gracious, has moved in such a way to lift up his son to provide the bread of life for us so that we can realize that even if we have everything that this world offers, we are missing so much. We are devoid of Christ. Do you realize this morning that when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is expressing that Jesus, he himself, is all that you need for real life. You say, well, what what about a job? What What about money? What about food? What about all this other stuff? All of that in due time... But you understand real life is concerned with more than surviving here. Real life is focused on eternity. What is in store? What is is coming down the road? And and you could die a billionaire and it's not going to do you any good when you stand before God. Your your wealth, the things that you have in this life is not going to make you right with him. So Jesus is expressing to them that he is all that they need. This morning, if you have nothing else in this life, but you have Jesus, then you're rich beyond measure. So Jesus is emphasizing something here in John chapter 6. There's a lot he's emphasizing, but the one thing that I want you to really dwell upon with me at this point is that Jesus is urging them to faith. He wants them to pursue after him with faith. There is a need for them to not just seek the things that Jesus can give, but to seek Jesus himself. Jesus speaks about this belief or this faith over and over again. Notice, in verse 29, as he's pointing out to them that they had come for the wrong reasons, it's interesting, you know, this back and forth, and it helps to try to get inside their head and understand what they're saying. They've come looking, and Jesus said, you only came here because you want more loaves, you want more bread, and you should not be laboring for the meat that perishes. Uh, you, You should be looking for the meat that endures unto everlasting life. So in verse 28, they ask this question, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, the works of God, what is that? Well, that's miracles. So they wanted to be able to do some miracles. I think, I can't prove it, but in the context of the passage, I think what they're hoping to do is that maybe Jesus could give them the ability to multiply bread and fishes. And they're thinking, hey, this would be really cool. You know, I could go home, tell the family, hey, look what I got for dinner tonight. Okay, look, we're going to have some bread. We're going to have some meat. Let's do this. All right, everybody enjoy. Next night, we could do the same thing. Let us work the works of God. But notice what they said. What can we do so that we can work the works of God? 
Give us the three-step formula. Tell us, tell us what to what to do? What, is there a special prayer that we pray? Is, is there like a little formula that we need to repeat? Is there some kind of a, a, a phrase that we should say over and over again? Do we, do we need to find some kind of an herb out in the yard and throw it over our right shoulder while we say something? I mean, is that going to help us? And lots of people have lots of different ideas about things that they could do. You say, well, I'm not superstitious. I'll bet you're more superstitious than you think you are. The truth is, Sometimes people want to be able to do some miracles. So Jesus answered them in verse 29, and he said, this is the work of God. Here's the work. Here's the miracle. You want to know what the miracle is? That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's the miracle. You know, today there's a lot of people looking for miracles. If we had a demon casting service in here and we could throw out some demons if we could legitimately heal some people who came in with sickness and have them walk out you know have somebody come in who broke their leg and and really set it straight i mean they they're they're able to walk and jump and and somebody who's blind and we could say okay now you can see and people would be like whoa that's going on at lehigh valley baptist i'll be down there but see that's only a physical miracle Here's what Jesus says is the work. The work, the miracle is that you would believe on the one that God has sent. You say, now why would that take a miracle? It would take a miracle because you are so blind that you can't see him. You are so far estranged from him that you think you don't need him. The miracle is that God could get our attention and alert us to our need of Him, and that we would come and believe on Jesus. They were focused on what they needed to do to earn God's favor, but Jesus pointed out to them that what they needed was to believe on Him. People struggle with this today. They say, what, do, what must I do to be saved? I'll do anything. I'll climb Mount Everest. I'll be baptized 14 times. I'll run a marathon. What do you need me to do? I'll, I'll crawl on my knees until they're bleeding across the cobblestones, carrying the burden, representing my sin. I'll do anything. Nail me to a cross if that'll save me. You say, people don't do that kind of thing. Yes, they do. All over this world, people do that kind of thing. But you say to them, just believe on Jesus. Just put your faith in Jesus. They say, oh, come on. That's too simple. That's too easy. Give me something to do. Give me something that's hard. Now, why is this? Because we are wired to think that we can save ourselves. We are wired to think that we can provide for our own needs. We are self-sufficient, self-sustaining kind of people. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, believe on Christ. In other words, salvation is freely given. It's not earned. The only thing that you can do is respond with obedience to the gospel, the good news that God has made a way for you to be right with Him. Verse 35, Jesus says this, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Cometh to me. Sounds simple, doesn't it? It's pretty easy. Titus. Titus Hammett. Come here. Hurry up. Hurry up. Come on. Was that hard? 
Was that complicated? Why didn't you do jumping jacks on the way? <laughs> what about the 50 push-ups? Where's my donut? <laughs> no, I just said, come to me, right? Go sit down. People get confused about salvation. What do you do? You come to Christ. Amen. What does it take to come to Christ? You recognize that you can't save yourself. Why else would you come to Christ? You recognize that you have a need. You come to Christ. You recognize that He has provided the way of salvation. You come to Christ. Jesus says, if you come to me, then you're going to have the bread of life. I'm going to give you everything that, you've, that you're looking for. I'm going to give you everything that you need. It's disappointing in John chapter 6 that this conversation didn't end with several thousand people coming to Christ. Instead, several thousand people turned their back on Jesus and instead of coming to Christ, they walked away from Christ. Now, we have a problem in Christianity today. And it's this idea that if we just make salvation accessible and simple enough, then lots of people will come. And we fooled ourselves into thinking, you know, if we, just, if we could just get people to come, you know, if we could attract them with some things, maybe let's, let's put on a big show in the front and have kind of a, a big music show and then people will come and, and, and I'll, bet, I'll bet we'll be able to get them to follow Christ. You know, if you were offering just a show, maybe some dinner afterwards, people would be like, oh, cool, I'll come. Yeah, what are you having to eat? Sounds good to me. A show? I love a show. You tell them you need to come to Christ. Oh, I don't want to come to Christ. I'm not interested in that. You see? Why is it? Because they don't have a need. Because they don't realize how desperately they need Jesus. And because at the end of the day, man has a rebellious heart and does not want to come to Christ. Does not want to follow Christ. I'm not suggesting that we make salvation inaccessible or complicated, but I am suggesting that we shouldn't hide the truth about what salvation is. Ignoring things like people's responsibility before God for their sin, because, you know, well, people don't really want to think about all that negative stuff. Well, until you understand the negative stuff, you can't get to the positive stuff. That's not doing anyone any favors. Telling people nonsense like, if you just follow Jesus, everything will get better and your life will be so much easier, which is complete nonsense according to the Bible, that's not helping matters. All that is doing is making false disciples and making people twofold more the child of hell, which Jesus spoke about. So Jesus is dealing with these people very pointedly and he's urging them, here's what you need to do. You need to come to Christ. Why did so many of them... In fact, all of them walk away in disappointment because the truth is most people are looking for something other than Christ and they are not prepared for the cost of following Christ. That is, they have no intention of surrender. They have no intention of actually letting God be in charge of their life. Again, let me reiterate if you offer to people free, eternal salvation, no strings attached, you don't have to do anything. Just repeat this prayer and you'll be a Christian. Lots and lots of people will do that. 
But if you start talking about the fact that being a follower of Christ actually involves you surrendering your life to him, it involves him being in charge of your life. This is the word that we use in the Bible. He's the Lord. He's the master. You start talking about that and people go, whoa, 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 wait a second. You know, I've got some things I want to do. I've got plans for my life. I'm not quite ready for that. This is why we have to preach a biblical gospel. It seems simple to believe on Christ, but it actually involves people surrendering what they're already believing in. These people didn't really think they had that great of a need. They just needed some bread. They just needed a baker, somebody who could make food appear for them. Ironically, they began talking about how Moses was providing bread for their fathers in the wilderness. And you say, why is that irony? Because their fathers hated that bread. They said, we don't want this bread. We don't like this bread. Give us something different. We're so bored with this bread. We don't like what you're doing, God. But they said, oh, we we think we would like it. Give us this bread. We would definitely appreciate it. Look at verse 51 with me real quick. Jesus says this, and this is probably the hardest statement that he makes in John chapter 6, and it's a statement that is often taken out of context, so I want to point it out to you for that reason. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, some people have taught, it's commonly taught today, that Jesus here in verse 51 is speaking of taking communion or taking the Lord's Supper. And I just want to say right, right away, this has nothing to do with communion or the Lord's Supper. Amen. Nothing at all. Nothing. The Lord's Supper had not even been instituted by this point yet. So none of the disciples would have understood it in that sense. You say, well, what is Jesus talking about? Because it seems like a very strange statement, people eating his flesh and Why would he even say something like that? Well, it's clear in the context that he is speaking about his coming death. It's clear that he is speaking about the fact that he is going to offer his flesh, he says in verse 51, which I will give for the life of the world. Later, he talks in verse 54 about whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And you say, whoa, that's really strange. What is he talking about? He's talking about his death. He's talking about the fact that his body will be broken and his blood will be shed as a covering for sins. And he's talking about the faith response that people must have to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How is Jesus the bread of life? He is the bread of life because he died in our place. He offered himself as the sacrifice for sin, and we must come to him, and we must accept that sacrifice. With no addendums to the contract, we accept what he has done. We believe on him, and he changes us. He covers our sin. He takes over our life. He moves inside We become recipients of His grace, children in the family of God, subjects in the kingdom of God. These are all biblical pictures. These are all things that happen at the point of salvation. But until you have done business with God, 
about what Jesus has done for you, you have not partaken of the bread of life. You can say, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read the Bible. I believe in God. Okay, but what have you done with Jesus? You see, what have you done with Jesus' sacrifice? What have you done in regards to the good news that Christ died in your place? That you were a sinner who deserves to die, but he died for you and provided you with the opportunity to be saved. What have you done specifically with that? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Now you say, why did Jesus say then, I am the bread of life, and the person that comes to him will never hunger and never thirst again? If Jesus didn't mean that in a literal, physical sense, what is he talking about? He's talking about this. Once you partake of Christ and you are saved, you will never need to be saved again. You will never need another helping of the bread of life in that sense. Taking him by faith is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient. There's nothing left to do in order to be more saved Now, he's obviously going to continue working in your life. You're obviously going to continue following him. But it all comes back to that question, what have you done with Jesus? And ultimately, when you've been saved and your relationship with God is secure through the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you are satisfied. Satisfied. You may not be the most wealthy person on your block. You, you may not have the most fulfilling circumstances in your life. You may have some real hardship and some real difficulty, but what you'll find is that you are satisfied with Him because when you have Him, you have enough. This morning, Jesus is the bread of life. But my question for you is this, what have you done with Jesus? Have you come to Him or have you walked away from Him? He's the bread of life, and you need to come to him if you have not.